You're listening to The One Room with a View show. With Christopher Preston and Dan Orton. Hello and welcome to The One Room with a View show with me, Christopher Preston, and Earth's mightiest hero is Mr. Dan Orton. Thank you very much. Fresh back from the Orient. The, the MCU franchise is in good hands. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've been carrying it since 2008. It's, it's just me now. It's not Robert Downey Jr., but yeah. <laughs> the one man who survived the snap. <laughs> Mr. Dan Alton. Talking of surviving the snap, Dan, what's coming mm, up on today's show? I'm glad show? you asked. I'm glad you asked. So, I'm very excited about this podcast. Yeah, this is... This episode, I feel like we've, built, like a lot, we've been building it? up to this. Since our entire since broadcasting. 2009. <laughs> mm, yeah. Um... We are some film old, some film new this month. Um, are some film new, as you so uh, as you hinted just then? So explicitly teased. So explicitly just uh, pretty much stated yeah. is Avengers Endgame. Mm. Uh, hashtag don't spoil the Endgame. The hashtag, hashtag we are we actually going to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> quite, quite comprehensively. I was going to say, yeah. Regardless of what the Russo the, brothers the would say. The next couple of hours is just Christopher and I reading out the script yeah. uh, of the film. No, and our some film old, as I mentioned in the last podcast, I'm really excited about this because I think it was a really interesting, if I do say so myself, mm. um, a really uh, left-field choice. But our some film old is The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. So here we're going to be discussing two huge... Franchise ending epics. Finales, finales, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, two films that had to wrap up uh, huge adventures, um, and 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 you know, and say goodbye just, to a million characters as well. Yes, I've written here. I was, you know, my usual notes. You know, obviously, Return of the, the King, Alden back. directed by Peter I Jackson. Think this was Tolkien's originally. <laughs> I don't know if that's like a family heirloom. Or... The Return of the King, directed by Peter Jackson, starring a lot of people. I've yeah, just that's written, and the same for Avengers. I've just had to write starring a lot of people because there's. Everyone is in this. No crossover between the two films, interestingly, oh, as far as I can yeah. tell. Um, but, yeah, so that's our Some Film Old, Some Film New. <laughs> as if that wasn't enough, we're doing a Some Film New Reloaded um, with another film that was released the same day as Avengers Endgame, which is a which bit of a shame. Which is such story. a shame because it's taken forever for this film to come out in the UK and I hope it now doesn't get buried under this kind of huge popular culture moment. It absolutely will. Yeah. Are we um, teasing it or are we going to actually say what it is? Let's tease it. Yeah, okay. Stay tuned. All right. Um, but it's a gem of a film. Uh, and then to go back to Marvel, we're going to be... We've got the perfect medium to discuss this. The, the, the best moments from the MCU universe. There's an article on OneRoomWithAView.com at the moment. Yes, there, they've so got we'll ten, that, ten moments that defined the Avengers franchise. It's a good ten. I'm sure you and I... I mean, now we've both seen Endgame, and I'm sure you and I have both got our own individual moments we might want to throw in as well. Um... So if you're not a fan of Marvel, t- stop listening. Well, no, go to some film new reloaded, and then and then stop listening. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Should we crack on? Let's. Some film old. Some film new. Yes, as ever, recorded live here in my living room. The uh, the master of jingles. Why never that? That's my uh, that's my superhero alter ego. That you're you're saying yeah. <laughs> Iron Man, Thor, the, the Jingle Spider-Man, Master, and the Jingle Master. Yeah. Dun 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 dun. Wah wah. Oops. Yes, as I said at the top of the podcast, some film old, some film new. It's the Return of the King and Avengers Endgame. We're going to kick off firstly with the Return of the King and go down a, a trip down memory lane 
through Middle Earth. I can't believe it was um, 16 years old, this movie, as well. God, such a such a long time ago. Yet I have such vivid memories of of seeing it. And, yeah. you know, I briefly want to touch on... I think Lord of the Rings are important, particularly to me and you, because we are of a certain age, Daniel. So, yes. you know, these movies came out... This came out... Young. Um, we're young. We're, we're young men. We're young. <laughs> young. <laughs> we're young. Young. Man. Young and vibrant, <laughs> as, as Donald Trump might say. Yeah, uh, yeah we are. But it, this came out for me when I was 11, 12, and 13. Yeah. And these felt like the first proper grown-up blockbusters I saw in the cinema. Mm. I don't know about you. And and, and yeah. I invested a lot into it. You know, like, um, I think a lot of little boys or, or adolescent boys will always put Lord of the Rings on some form of pedestal because of how wonderful the books are and because... All teenagers, boys and girls, probably read them around that kind of age, but we had the films alongside them too. Yes. And they felt... I hate the term game-changing, I really do, but Lord of the Rings films felt like they did change the game. Yeah, I don't think... I mean, I don't think there's been films made quite like them since, no. at that scale. It felt like they kind of made something old-fashioned in the in the like of, like, Lawrence of Arabia or Ben-Hur, these massive epics, mm. but with the kind of the innovations that technology had brought us with the CGI. It was it was a tremendous blend of CGI and actually practical effects. Yes. That's what I loved about Lord of the Rings. It was such a labour of love. You could tell that, like, 10, 15 years of work had gone into these three like, mm. and, the, and yeah, and the culmination is this film, The Return of the King, which which what, what nominated for eleven Oscars or something, and won several you know several of those. Mm. Um, so, what's the plot then, Dan? If you can kind of give it to us in a in a so nutshell. yeah. So as we've already touched on, The Return of the King is the final part of the trilogy. We've got Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, The Two Towers, and then The Return of the King. Mm. And this is the uh, wrapping up of the of the Fellowship's journey to destroy the One Ring, Sauron's uh, you know evil power. Etc. I don't know how, many, <laughs> how much detail we can go into. We could be here for ages. But uh, this picks up. The Fellowship has long been disbanded. Everyone's, you know, been thrown to the four corners of Middle-earth. Frodo and Sam are making their way through Mordor to get the ring to the mountain, you know, the, to the mountain of doom. Aragorn is on his way to... Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli are on their way to, to Gondor to, to fight the big fight... Pippin and Merry are off with Treebeard, the Ent, and they're you know they're in Isengard, having just defeated Saruman. Gandalf is back and kind of bringing the old band back together. All roads lead to Mordor yeah. for the final big clash with everyone. Which is very reminiscent done of the very film. well there. Yeah, it is. I it, hadn't rehearsed that. Either. It does play into that kind of a certain formula, which is to to fragment a central group and then bring them back for a triumphant finale. Yes. There's something that we have no doubt talk about before it's the rest something of the of a podcast. Theme. I was finished. going to say, I feel like we're going to say epic a lot in yeah. this podcast. Uh, but Lord of the Rings Return of the King is an epic. I mean, particularly if you invest in, as I have, the extended edition. Yes. Which is four, over four hours. But such pace to it. And it needed it. I mean, the only thing where it starts to undo itself slightly is that incredible finale, which doesn't ever quite end. <laughs> yes, there's about seven endings, I think. There's about seven different but endings. But I'm, I'm willing to sort of let that go. That's, that's, a, that's a minor quibble, you know. The, 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 the film needed those, I suppose. Um, well, yeah, because when you're saying goodbye, and, and all of these things, particularly in the year of the hashtag, we've got these endless... Was it... Like, in, when The Hobbit finished, it was called, like, One Last Time or something like that. Mm. Something along those lines. <laughs> but whenever there's a, a, a finale, you need you need room to say goodbye to characters. If you yes. think about the epilogue in uh, Harry Potter, yeah, the 17 finales in Lord of the Rings, 
the walk back in The Hobbit, the what we will talk about in yes, Avengers. Well, yeah, yeah. We need to luxuriate in our goodbyes because... It's owed to the audience, in a sense, as well as the filmmakers perhaps not feeling quite ready. I remember us having this conversation once when I was pitching an idea to our student newspaper about the idea of of television finales. Mm. And obviously we're rocketing towards one in Game of Thrones in a few weeks. And I still, I mean, we're two episodes into the final season. No spoilers, by the way, for Game of Thrones, any fans out there. Uh, But I still wonder how the hell they're going to say goodbye to everyone on that and how they're going to wrap all of that up. And I think, remember a thesis that you put forward was (laughs) that that no no finales are ever that satisfying because it's so impossible to say goodbye. You know, like we become accustomed to these characters, therefore we don't want to say goodbye to them. And it's funny how the Lord of the Rings manages to capture that in three admittedly massive movies. Mm. You you don't want to say goodbye to that. You don't want to say goodbye. It's the world building in the Lord of the Rings. Yes, I think we've touched on this before, but Jackson is so, so good at world building. Um, I think we've talked about it when we talked about the Hobbit films in the past, which one of the one of the saving graces of the Hobbit films is that Peter Jackson is still such a, a wonderful builder of, of, yeah. of worlds and architect, you know, such a wonderful architect, um, regardless of the, the rest of those films, other uh, well, shortcomings. Well, that's the only thing that really saves the Hobbit, I think, to be honest. Um, but here in The Lord of the Rings, as you say, you've, you've talked about how they spent a, a good decade or so, like, putting these together pre-production was several years long he had he was able to spend the time necessary to to get these films absolutely right um and that's why they are perfect really aren't they you know i think everyone has their favorite when it comes to these lord of the rings films and i'm sure that there's a different podcast that you and i will (laughs) actually spend looking at perhaps the trilogy and maybe even like widening our conversation about the hobbit as well yeah return of the king is actually my least favorite of the lord of the rings film but I feel like my favourite, I think, is probably still... Originally, when I was a kid, my favourite was always The Two Towers. Yeah. Because I feel like it has that thing that... It seems that when we when you watch trilogies, the, the second part is always the best because they, you've established the characters, mm. you can always end on either a, a big cliffhanger or you can up the stakes, you don't have the burden of resolution. But I think the older I get, the more I feel like The Fellowship is my favourite now. But it's like the primus inter pare of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Like, it's just the first amongst the equals. I'm not mm. saying that the other two are bad. And I don't no, think no, Return no. of the King is a bad film. I think it's an excellent film. But I think it's probably my least favourite. I think The Return of the King had a lot on its shoulders. And, mm. and there was a lot, a lot riding on it. And um, it had a lot to achieve. But it achieves it. Mm. With, you know, flying colours. There, n- there is no shortfall in The Return of the King. And that's what makes it such a spectacular movie, is that it does say its goodbyes to everyone. Everyone gets their curtain call. And I, I always was wondering how they were going to do that, even in the original Avengers movie. Mm. How was it that everyone would get their moment in the sun? And I feel like in Return of the King, everyone does. You know, try, good ultimately does triumph over evil, but everyone, all of the main characters, all of these characters that we've come to know and love who've established themselves over these hours and hours that we've spent with them, everyone gets their signature moment in Return of the King. Yes. I was just immediately coming to mind there was, was Legolas versus the Oliphant. Mm. And, and then Gimli's wonderful one-liner at the end, which yeah. is still in the counts as well. <laughs> Gimli was basically on um, question time the other night, wasn't he? He was, but let's not talk about that. <laughs> yeah, he certainly got his moment in this uh, one. <laughs> um... No, a remark like you know, as like similarly to the the next film we're going to talk about, similarly to Endgame, Return of the King successfully just brings it all together. Um, yeah, not my favorite one of the of the trilogy, but it, you know, it, it's impossible to 
It's not a ba- like it's not because it's a bad film. It's not. It's just because I think that there is that burden of resolution, and it's not that the resolution is uh, unsatisfying in any way. It's just that there there is something of the journeyman I think about these films, where particularly when we get into, I mean, for want of a better term, the end game, mm. there are things where we're like, right, we've got to get this sorted, we've got to get this sorted, we've got to get this sorted, because they have to be done. Yeah. yeah because yeah. when the bell tolls, it tolls for these characters. You know, they they don't have the room for expansion. I think about um, the Dark Knight trilogy as well. I think that the Dark Knight Rises is is by far the worst of those films because it is that. But there is a movie. I mean, we're not going to discuss this, but there is a movie that I, I feel succumbed to the pressure and the hype of having to deliver. Yeah, it was too busy trying to make everything work and make it neat and tidy that it that it, it kind of got away from itself. But Return of the King, I, I I still think the genius of these movies is that it takes thousands of characters. You are, you know you're you're anchored with the Fellowship, but you've got everyone in all of these different um, kingdoms and cities and towns. And the more the more the movies develop, the more sprawling the epic becomes. Mm. The, the the way they manage to satisfyingly conclude that story yeah. is is, is marvellous. And not forgetting that it's based, you know, and so well adapted from the source material. Yeah, and it's one of those few things as well, and this might be blasphemous to some people, it, a, lot of the, a lot of the cuts and a lot of the changes that are made in Lord of the Rings, particularly when we get to the final chapter, mm. actually feel like uh, precision, precision engineering. You know, there's a lot of kind of things that they... not In fact, there's not a lot of things, but the things that they do choose to admit from the books actually ends up making a stronger narrative, I think. Yeah, no, I absolutely, I completely agree. As much as I love the books, and the books have a special place in my heart, um, you know, I think there's a, one could say Tolkien could have done with a good editor. Yeah, Um, and that editor, I think, ends up being Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson is the good editor that Tolkien maybe needed, or, you know, and and there was no way you could do, uh, you know, a word-for-word adaptation of The Lord of the Rings. There are some things that just don't work on screen, some things that are unnecessary, some things that you don't realise when you're reading them actually slow down the pace of a narrative or a story. Mm. But, but you know, they, they did such a great job. And let's not forget that Jackson obviously was involved in the writing of the screenplay as well as directing and producing. Mm. Um, and, yeah, it's just a, an, amazing, an amazing effort. I look back, I was just thinking about it, watching it ahead of this podcast and, and, and thinking back to it and just, you know, just marvelling, I think. <laughs> Excuse the pun. Uh, just, 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 just marvelling at the uh, how... Uh, remarkable the whole thing, the whole endeavor was, and I think it, it's because it delivers on moments. And I and I know this is a conversation that we're going to have like twice more <laughs> today. But when I think about Return of the King alongside the other Lord of the Rings movies, is that it just gives us moment after moment. There are are moments when you you sit in the cinema and you get that shiver down your spine. And I think about like um, Aragorn's coronation, yeah, uh, and Gandalf turning up on like the horizon. You know the. Um, the, the various battle scenes that are that are involved in in not only Lord of the Rings as a whole, but certainly in Return of the King, mm. there's so much going on there where popular culture is now stemmed from. Uh, I, I cannot believe it's 16 years old. I really can't. But yeah, a, a, a great movie. Great a really movie, great movie. Great movie. Um, let's move on. I think we've sort of touched on a lot of. I think this, there's a lot of thematic similarities as we as we mentioned before between. Return of the King and Endgame. We've touched on a few of them there, this kind of closing an epic, uh, large-scale battles, giving characters their moment in the sun. Before they say goodbye. Before they well. say goodbye. You know, this kind of, you know, the, 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 the weight of 
of 21 other films on this film's shoulders. Yeah, and also the notion of world-building and architecture mm. as well. Like, yes, the Marvel Cinematic Universe sits adjacent to our world, but, you know, unlike, uh, the, say, the DCEU, the, many of the locations exist actually within the Earth that we know, you mm. know, like New York City and, and places like that. So, yeah, it, they've just built, they've scaffolded their universe around ours, which, you know, is quite a nice idea as well. Yes. But Endgame, yeah, we've been, I mean, there was a previous podcast listener back uh, in April of last year where we spoke about Infinity War, so we won't... Well, I suppose we'll be talking about Infinity War by extension of the It's inevitable. Kind of, exactly. Much like, like Thanos. Thanos. <laughs> but we will say this, we are going to spoil this movie from yes. here on in. So if you are not interested in spoilers, skip to the next feature. Yeah, skip about 20 minutes in, Yeah, I think. So, should we do a plot? Yeah, I did Return of the King, you should do Endgame. Endgame picks up... Sometime after Infinity War and the events of Infinity War. So the snap has happened, mm. half of the entire universe has been dusted by Thanos after he successfully heisted the Infinity Stones from the various locations around the universe. And those who are left behind have got an impossible choice to make. Either live in the consequences or to try and go against all forces of time and nature and space to try and save those who have who have disappeared. I think that's basically it, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah and they're going to do it over three hours, which is some of the leanest three hours I've ever... It didn't feel like three hours. I have never experienced, or very few times have I experienced, a three-hour and two-minute movie, or whatever <laughs> it ended up being, that felt so punchy. Yeah. Like, it was, it had pace to it. There was a real stamina to this film, which was good. There, there was a, a review, so I can't take, take credit for this, but I completely agree. So a review for uh, an outlet which said that not a second of this film is wasted. Well, I was worried, because <laughs> I saw this movie as part of a double bill for the midnight screening, and the double bill was, of course, Infinity War and Endgame. Mm. Now, Infinity War is no quick walk around <laughs> the park. That's a two-and-a-half-hour movie. Yeah. So everyone was looking at each other like, how are we going to pee? Because... I don't want to do it into a bottle, but nor do I want to kind of, like, destroy my kidneys. Yes. But there was not a moment, really, in this film that you could excuse yourself to go to the toilet. It felt like every minute yeah. of every hour was doing something. It's doing something. The there's, no, there's no fat here. There's, there's no fat. It's a very muscular, very robust movie. Mm. And it had to be. But I said to the person I was seeing it with before is that there was no part of me that expected Endgame to be bad. And that's a real... I know that we're talking about, you know, these kind of uh, end times where Disney seemingly just gobbling up every other outlet that dares to produce a film yes. on their watch. They now own our podcast. Actually. Yeah, so we're happy to be part of the House <laughs> of Mouse. But at the same time... You have to give Disney and Marvel and Kevin Feige and all of these people their due that they have made 10, 11 years worth of mostly incredibly entertaining movies, which has culminated in Endgame, which feels like a massive popular culture moment. You know, and I love this movie. I'll say it to you now. It felt earned, it felt righteous, and it felt like a fitting end to the movies that I've kind of grown up alongside mm. as well. I don't think I can put it better. Which is annoying for a podcast. <laughs> I don't think you, you've summed it up uh, perfectly. This, Thank you. this was a this was the ending that that the this phase, this era of Marvel films, these characters deserved. Mm. There was not really a single uh, 
uh, bum note. No, there was no missteps. There was nothing really in it. And there's a couple of points that I want to pick up and discuss mm. with you, which is why we want to talk about spoilers. But there was nothing where I was like, oh, this is like rubbish. They've blown this. It just felt like, do you know what? It was the kind of movie that you wanted to stand up and clap at the end. And actually, the audience that I was in did. Mm. It actually did receive. I mean, that's receive that's one of those. One, one thing I will say about these sorts of films, uh, you know, Return of the King, Endgame. Uh, the the experience is so much better with a group of people when you're in a crowded cinema and this is, you know the showing I was at last night was sold out I'm sure the one you saw at midnight was sold out I remember the video nope. I remember <laughs> <laughs> oh, no it was yeah it was, there just, was just you and us as I said there was four screenings sold out that night yeah. so when we all left it was the atmosphere was just buzzing but just being and I remember I remember it being the same when I saw Infinity War and there were you know obviously a lot you know there's those moments in the film which were unexpected and 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 emotional and they get you have have a lot of the same unexpected and emotional and uplifting moments in Endgame as well and you're enjoying them with these this entire room of about 200 strangers mm. um and it just makes the viewing it, uh, these films need to be seen uh, like this I think yeah there's something communal about these yeah, films yeah. I remember I, there, I remember being the same Return of the King people whooping and sort of you know oh shit like, you know and, and that happened and and then the same thing happened with Endgame it's an interesting uh, it's almost uh, a religious phenomenon. experience isn't it in that way that people coming together unified by these these films these characters mm. and wanting to see where it went and really caring and there was so much care, and, and that's what I like about the movie is that it's seemingly made by people who love these characters as much as us. It didn't feel just like a consumer product. It mm. didn't feel like a lot of these movies actually end up doing, which is like an extended toy advert. Hmm. It didn't feel like... Sometimes you watch these kind of movies, and you do feel like the actual film itself is inconsequential because it's just a tool for marketing. Mm. It's like, oh, well, we're going to sell a load of T-shirts, we're going to sell a load of lunchboxes and figurines and stuff. It felt like the narrative came first here. They genuinely wanted to say goodbye to some characters, to uh, put other characters in in a strong, strong enough position that the universe can continue. I'll say that the movie surprised me. It wasn't entirely the movie I expected it to be, which was no bad thing. Mm. The first half an hour undercut most of my expectations of this movie. Um, and it, yeah, it was a blinder of an opening. That first yeah. 15 minutes, and you're like, oh, okay, so yeah. that's where we are. This is where we're going. I kept thinking, like, something's something gone wrong here? Are they yeah. tricking me? What, what's going on here? It felt like the first 15 to 30 minutes were uh, before the time leap. Mm. So, you know, like, before the five years later thing yeah. came up. It felt like, wow, okay, so this kind of basically uh, went against everything I expected it to. You know, And I liked that. I liked the fact that it did subvert expectations. And I know that audiences and critics have been talking about subversion of expectations a lot, particularly post The Last Jedi, where many people seem to argue that The Last Jedi did subvert expectations, but they did it in a, it did it in a grating or um, hmm. uh, a, a kind of... Yeah, like a, a kind of particularly... I'm not even sure. A particularly chafing way. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know what you're trying to say. Whereas this, I like. They they, they took a bit of. They took a hammer to the expectations. Exactly. (laughs) Whereas with this, I liked the. I liked the subversions. I liked like Fat Thor, for example. I thought was a masterstroke. And again, Chris Hemsworth's performance in Endgame, much like Infinity War, almost stole the show for me. I think what they've done with Thor. I'm glad Thor's continuing, and I think the idea of him now joining the Guardians of the Galaxy is is a genius move. Um, which I wouldn't have said necessarily when I when I I embraced the character mostly I think in Avengers. Mm. This character now feels like such a solid part of of that franchise. I'm glad that he's staying. Yes, I completely agree. Mm. Chris Hemsworth is a real uh, a real joy to watch. He and, is. and 
and I'm glad we're seeing more of his... I mean, I think it was always there, but he's just been allowed to really go with those comedic um, flares to the character. And Ragnarok felt like such a great soft reboot for the character that I didn't really feel like we could say goodbye to him just yet. It feels like he's just coming into his own. Hmm. But should we talk about the characters we are, we ha- we are saying goodbye to, have said goodbye to? Yes, there's a quick immemorium. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, this, as, as promised, I suppose, by the filmmakers, you know, they did say, or well, there was hints that, that uh, main characters will die. This we will be good, good saying goodbye to, to beloved characters. Um, the movie wasn't as bloody as I expected it to be, though. No. I thought the kill count would actually end up being higher than it ended up I was expecting was. some sort of bloodbath, but... I was um, expecting I'm, that, too. And I'm glad, actually... I, again, talking about subverting expectations, I'm actually really... Ha- I suppose I'm... I'm disappointed with Black Widow's arc, I guess, more than anything. But Tony's, uh, Iron Man's um, arc is, uh, well, oh, yeah, was, was, <laughs> was, was perfect. Yeah. And, and I love the story. I loved how, I love how they concluded Captain America's story. We'll talk about Iron Man and, and Cap. Like, we need to speak about them yes. kind of together. But yeah. Black Widow, we should talk about first. That was the only time when the robustness of the film worked against the movie. Black Widow's been a character that we've had since Iron Man 2, so early days yeah, MCU, yeah. and she was part of the core Avengers as well. I was somewhat sad that her sacrifice was so quick. So if you haven't seen the movie and you're just listening to spoilers anyway, Black Widow plays the kind of Gamora-style role in this film, which is that when after the team decide that they're going to travel through time um, using the quantum realm that they're going to all heist different stones black widow decides that she's going to give up her soul for the soul stone Mm. but it felt too quick i actually would have preferred hawkeye to have died at that time because it felt like well him now being ronan where he's just like slaughtering everyone that looks (laughs) at him twice it felt like there might have been redemption for him there yes well, he, I mean, he tries, doesn't he? And uh, I think, once again, that's the Russo brothers with that subversion of expectations. Yeah. Uh, I, I, and I'll tell you what, it snuck up on me, that, that scene. Mm. I, can, I don't know how. I mean, I, I guess maybe it was late. I wasn't paying attention. But it, it, it didn't occur to me until really the moment they start talking to the Red Skulls. Like, oh, wait, this is going to be just a rehash of the scene we saw in the last film. One of them was going to have to die. Like, it didn't occur to me at that point. All the way through the prepping for the heist and those two are going off to Vormir. I was like, "Eh," just merrily sitting along for the ride. And then it occurred to me, oh, wait, one of them isn't going to come back. And And can they solve this? It reminded me of, like, the kind of serrated nature of grief generally, which is that I really would have loved to have seen Black Widow in that last epic battle. Mm. And if she'd have succumbed then, then perhaps it would have felt slightly more warranted. But I suppose that is the nature of, of grief, isn't it? Is that you don't want these characters to go i think that because of the robustness of the film and what they needed to get through it did feel i felt like she was slightly shortchanged it didn't oh it didn't um it, it didn't affect really my overall enjoyment of the movie or my engagement with the movie but i just thought when you see her prone body with blood all around her and then you realize well black widow this character that we've been with for god knows eight years or whatever yeah is just gone like that and then we're already into the next scene it, it was slightly shortchanging but mm. I suppose to the effect that we needed to say goodbye to two main characters, the two the two leaders of the Avengers, which is Tony Stark and Captain America. Yes, the heart and soul, if you will. Yeah, the brains and the brawn of, uh, <laughs> of the MCU. And you yeah. feel like both of them were given their due. I absolutely do. It wasn't, like I say, I was... Uh, uh, Captain America being given um, his the life with, with Peggy was not his what I was ending. expecting, but was an amazing... And, in, and surprisingly touching ending to the film. And a lovely is the final shot of the film as yeah. well, seeing them dancing in a very ordinary suburban home. 
It felt like the ending that Steve Rogers deserved. This is what, yes, exactly. I was like, I'm so glad he got that ending. Mm. Um, and because for a horrible moment, I thought he was going to be murdered. Mm. For a horrible moment in that battle, because the battle is like the, the the Sistine Chapel of the MCU. How they managed to pull that off was. I mean, you're right. It's a work of art. Yeah. And I mean, it only, looks like a comic not book. Not only are there so many fantastic shots in that, the mm. way they, the way they frame some of those shots, as you say, it looks like yeah, it looks like a comic book. Just the way it all comes together, it's like you know, it was incredible. This moment after moment after moment after moment, and yeah. there is two great moments, particularly for Captain America in the battle. And one of them, of course, is that he gets to say the word we've been wanting him to say since <laughs> 2011, which is the word assemble. And that is as everyone turns up. So all, all of the dusted party come back. They come back through these uh, the Doctor Strange it, kind of portals. I tell you what, it gave you real, you know... That's when I welled up. That's when I welled up. I felt myself well up because you see all of these characters that you love standing toe to toe, side by side. You've got Thanos' army on the other side, literally split down the middle. And then we've got this close-up of Steve Rogers and he simply says, assemble. Yeah. And then the battle begins. And it's like something out of like Saving Private Ryan at that point, where everyone's kind of thrashing about and fighting. And Captain America has to face off against Thanos, mano a mano. Mm. And there is an awful moment where Thanos, who's got this kind of like huge, I mean, God knows what that sword thing is. It looks like something out of like a Bruce Campbell movie. <laughs> and he's thrashing at him and the, and the shield oh, breaks. breaks the shield, yeah. And at that point, I was like, Christ, we're, are we going to say goodbye to Steve Rogers now in the most visceral fashion? Uh, he ends up undoing it by what might be the biggest popular culture moment of this movie, which is that he gets to wield Thor's hammer. He proves himself worthy. Now, when I saw this movie at midnight in... This was like 3 o'clock in the morning at this point. <coughs> a guy in front of me was so excited, he had slowly, like a monkey, climbed on top of his chair. And as uh, Captain America wielded... You know, there's a moment where yeah. he ca- he catches yeah, the you hammer, wonder, yeah, the hammer goes flies back and it's Captain America. And yeah, it's Captain yeah. America doing it. Uh, this guy lost it and he began to jump up and down on his seat <laughs> to the point where he went through the seat and just like stood for the rest of the movie. Uh, but yeah, such a great cracking popular culture moment. And so it was lovely to see that Steve Rogers actually did get through the final battle. Mm. Who doesn't, on the other hand, is uh, alas, is my worst fears. Tony Stark, Iron Tony Man. Stark. How did you feel like that went? Can they handle it very well? I love that his final words in the film, effectively, as as a living person, he mm. does have that hologram later. In the, in the, but his pretty much his final lines are, "I am Iron Man," yeah. as a like a fuck you to Thanos. Yeah, he he had to die though. Tony Stark had to die. Yeah, and and going into this movie. Uh, it feels kind of like perverted to say it, but I'd have been disappointed if he just rode off into the sunset. No, I agree. I think it was right to kill him off. But of course, now we know we have time travel. We have the quantum realm. We have, you know... (laughs) That's Robert Downey Jr. just not. (laughs) (laughs) It it felt like at this point that Iron Man had to go. And if of all of the characters, I I thought that, you know, um, one wondered whether or not Captain America would ever get a happy ending... I did feel like we were kind of probably losing him on the battlefield as well. And I think there was a popular theory that one of them were going to have to sacrifice the other, like right. Black Widow or Hawkeye, mm. which I think would have felt a bit short-changing for those characters, particularly in light of the battle. Both of them had to be on that battlefield. Yes, yes, no, of course. But, um, um, and there are some great moments, you know, so I just, sorry to go on from a yeah, slight well, tangent. I, I, this is the first time these characters have actually 
seen each other since the events Civil of Civil War, where they beat the crap out of one another, and 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 you know, <laughs> Iron Man has pretty much handed his his metal ass on a plate. Yeah, Captain America walks away having just you know, um, and Captain America throws the shield back at him, doesn't he? You know, Iron yes. Man says there he's like, you're you're not like worthy to kind of do that. And then he leaves the shield, and of course Tony then gives him the yeah, shield. Yeah, so there's some great the the, the the relationship between those two throughout this film is really really well handled. But this is and this is one of those things like these are these are more than I hate to say it because it all sounds a bit horribly cliched, mm. but these this feels more more than a comic book film. It is the more than writing a comic book is movie. so good. Yeah, I was the interactions between them. It's funny. I was surprised and, at how funny this touching. movie was mm. because this movie has got to be bleak. Like half the universe yeah. is wiped out, and and these people are kind of fighting for, for their existence. Yeah. And we do say but goodbye to some characters. The time heist segment could have been another film entirely. Yeah. <laughs> it's but, like... and, and, and I'll tell you I loved in this movie as well, Paul Rudd. I think Paul Rudd really stepped up here. <laughs> like, Paul Rudd to kind of go toe-to-toe with so many of these kind of characters and, and to do so well and to be so integral to the plot. Yeah. That's what I loved about the fact is there's no character in this movie where you're like, why are you in it? Everyone got their moment. Everyone, no one was superfluous to the plot, you know. And also, the, you say about this being more than a comic movie. This this brought Robert Redford out of retirement. We got I Robert love, Redford. Yeah. We got Michael Douglas in this movie. See Michelle Pfeiffer at one point. I mean, I've t- I think we've had this conversation before, just like talking about like the the, the, the incredible names from from Hollywood that have actually put themselves into into uh, the Marvel. But universe. we're happy to cameo in but these movies. Yeah. Redford, uh, uh, Douglas, Pfeiffer, Portman's back. Portman's Port- back. Who refused to come back yeah. for like didn't want to come back for Ragnarok, but she's back here. She's here. Uh, Rene Rousseau is is back. Um, this film made me like. It was a weird kind of nostalgia trip in a sense. That whole time travel segment. Well, I thought that was masterfully back. done because time travel is. I like I like time travel, and, and this is like a stupid comment to make, but I like time travel when it's done well, and it always needs to be done well, like via rules. But they had that great kind of little exposition done with the um, Professor Hulk. Yes. And to, who? Uh, oh Christ! And Tilda Swinton's back as well. And, exactly. and kudos to the filmmakers for keeping all this under wraps, like. Each one a surprise. Each yeah. one a wonderful like. But the fact that they <clears throat> wander through the museum of the MCU, you see the Battle of New York, you see yeah. um, moments from lots of the other different movies. You've got Tony Stark's father in it, which is nice. You, all of these things. I don't know how they did it, Dan. I really don't. I and you know what? It makes me feel kind of embarrassed of myself that I remember a conversation you and I had when we discussed all the way back in the radio days of whether or not the Avengers would work and both of us were looking at each other like I don't know there's a lot of ego going on there how are they going to balance six characters at about 40 in that final battle and everyone got their due you know um, someone said to me afterwards they were quite surprised that Captain Marvel didn't get as much to do in this movie because she'd been built up so much mm. But if they'd have tried to do that, then there would have been too much going on. You know, this was a movie that said goodbye to the first wave. And Captain Marvel and Black Panther and Doctor Strange and Spider-Man, they'll all have their moments later on. Yes, Um, it's in good hands. And Falcon, of course. And of course, absolutely, he's going to be our new cap. Uh, Shall we move on to Bob's turn? Yes. Yes, before we could could end, we could talk about this for hours and hours, but let's let's be disciplined. Mm. Um, Return of the King first. It's a five bob film. Yeah, it's a five it's bob film in a this five is, bob trilogy. This isn't is a it? class. This is a classic. The, the the Return of the King and indeed yes, the trilogy will be remembered for you know long after you and I are, are dead. Mm. Um, these, <laughs> next week. Then. <laughs> these <laughs> these are these are seminal films. Yeah, both of them actually the ones we're talking about today. And pop, they're, pop, yeah, pop they're culture pop, moments. Culture moments. Yeah, and and just they will be remembered. 
And that you know, and, and and rightly so. Five bob for Return of the King, and five bob from me. It's a five bob movie and a five bob franchise. You're absolutely right. It's how to make. It's 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 like a kind of. Uh, it's an almanac of how to make these kind of movies. Mm. You know, I'm sure lots of people who are now operating in Hollywood, like young talent, are ha- watched those films when they were kind of our age or slightly younger and thought, I want to make this movie. You know, this is how you make a movie. And I'm sure many people will be doing that for Endgame as well now. Um, well, from one incredible franchise uh, finale to another. Mm. Um, five Bob. Yeah, five, this is a Five Bob movie. And it, of it, course the, it is. The, the fact they yes. managed to kind of take what was done in Infinity War and and provide such an amazing resolution not only to that but to everything else. And yeah, I am kind of excited to see Thor in with the Guardians of the Galaxy. I, I think the next one will be like the, the quest for Gamora, presumably. Because you were really worried. I mean, we had this discussion uh, last week. You you have expressed concern about how you are going to be interested in the MCU films yeah. going forward because this is, this is you know very much a, you know this is very much feels like a finale um, to you know we we started we started with Iron Man and, and now we end with with Endgame and. Um, do we really care about what comes comes next? Yeah, and I'm sure we'll have this discussion and debate in a, in a future podcast, but my thoughts on it now is that the one failure of Endgame is that nothing will be able to beat it. There is, no, <laughs> there is nothing... It, it feels so incredible and so novel and so new and so beautifully made that I really... And you know what? They'll probably do it. But I find it, I find it difficult to see how the MCU will be able to create something as incredible and as epic as this without kind of copying itself or retreading old ground mm. you know i'm sure they'll probably manage to do it and i'm sure that these are the conversations that are happening now they haven't actually told us anything about stage uh, phase four have they no not really. because they're kind of keeping it under wraps but but end game is such a massive achievement that i do think that my own interest will probably wane from here on afterwards i am interested to see what goes on i'm sure spider-man far from home is going to be um, a good fun um, piece of entertainment over the summer i'm interested to see what thor will do with the with the guardians the as guardians of the galaxy i think they're calling it um i'm i will hope to see ant-man and the wasp again yeah uh, I'm sure there are people that I'm forgetting now. I'll, I'll be interested to see what happens with the Captain America story, whether or not Bucky Barnes will continue with that. I'm sure it will. But my own sense of loyalty to these films mm-hmm. is kind of finished with Endgame, I think. No, that's fair, that's fair. But, but yeah, 5 yeah. an incredible... Of course it's a 5 bob film, but it, 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 it's... It, 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 I, I, I don't know, it's, beyond, it's difficult to put into words. We've, just, I've, we've spent the last 30 minutes discussing it... Um, yeah, I can't can't stress enough, listener, how great a film this is as as a as an ending as a as a, well just as a piece of filmmaking as it's in of it, in and of itself. What are we gonna do, Dan? Now that we've got to say goodbye to these lads, Star Wars finishes in December, Game of Thrones finishes in a couple of weeks. I don't know. Do a Gladriel, retire and <laughs> go to the west. <laughs> go to the west. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, so we teased this at the beginning, and we're going away from epic franchises and and, and incredible ensemble pieces. This feels like the kind to... of the antithesis to Endgame. This is like <laughs> a tiny little indie A small movie. indie film from a, small a, from a first-time film. filmmaker. Yeah. Um, we are talking... Tiny budget. <laughs> I was going to say what, but I mean... Yeah, it must have been made on a shoestring. Uh, this is 8th grade. 
Written and directed by Bo Burnham. Yes, and starring Elsie Fisher. Yeah, she um, of I think she's been she's, in a couple of Despicable Me. Yeah, she was the voice of one of the um, one of the orphan girls. One of the villains. One of the, <laughs> <laughs> it's the voice of Groot. Yeah, uh, famously. Uh, well, I've been talking about this film for seemingly ages, Dan. I remember talking your ear off about it uh, last summer because I saw it whilst I was in New York. Yes, and it got like a you know uh, it got an amazing reaction in New York. I believe it premiered at Sundance. And uh, it was in a lot of US cinemas. It provoked some controversy because it got rated R in America. And people were like, but surely like 13 and 14 year olds should be watching this movie and they can't. <laughs> so Bo Burnham and, and the producers actually organised lots of free screenings for, pe- for, for ch- children. Oh, right, right. Well, for adolescents. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, I'd be, I mean, I'm, I've been a teacher for five years now and I, and I feel like this is an important film for particularly 13 to 15 year olds to watch. It feels ludicrous that this is a movie that would be marketed yeah, at that's an R-rated strange. audience. Um, and you're right, it does feel like a film that needs to be watched by, by young people. Mm, um, because this is a film that's been made by young people for young people, and it is, it's a, it's a, I'm a sucker for these growing up stories, but this feels like one that is a legitimate and real movie, as opposed to one that's been made by like a 45-year-old who, who's having yeah, to look up a starring, dictionary. Starring and, people in their early 20s exactly. playing teenagers. This, this is, is someone, this is, I mean, I think uh, Elsie Fisher was probably about 15 when she played the 13-year-old Kayla, mm. um, Kayla Day, who is, a, who is a, a, a shy and fairly introverted teenager who is trying to navigate her final year of middle school yes. via the trappings of social media et al., <laughs> I think is the way that we should describe that. But what a yes. touching and beautiful love. And she presents there. something of a different persona on online. online. Yeah, she's trying to get. Um, she's trying to be like a kind of uh, self-help guru. Yeah, it's it, it, it's very as you you say you said real there earlier, um, and it does it does feel very real and and, and authentic and and. I feel that like, you know this is representative of many many teenagers. So she's there. She's just putting herself out there online whilst being incredibly introverted mm. at school. No one watches her YouTube videos. No, and there's something <laughs> heartbreaking about that, isn't there? When it does a some montages of all of her tips, yeah, and they've got uh, like five views, and some of them have got zero nothing. views. And, and and she's still there, just sort of giving out, doling out this advice. Yeah. Um, it's but advice that she doesn't really take upon herself. No, you know? there's she the arrogance, tries. the arrogance of youth there. Yeah, she, you know. she desperately tries, and that's what I love about Kayla and and and, and Elsie Fisher's performance is is so is so nuanced for someone that young. You know, to be able to it's scoop very, out a performance as incredible as the one very she impressive. delivers. Yeah, it's very impressive. Um, but I think I mean they they all they, they, the whole cast is incredibly impressive, and I think that comes from sort of casting people who are the right sort of age. There's what I read a wonderful anecdote about the film after seeing it that originally Bo Burnham had, had written it that, that they all communicate via Facebook. Oh yeah, I've read this. And Elsie Fisher went back to him and said, we don't use Facebook, no one uses Facebook anymore. Yeah, and that line <laughs> I think is actually included in the movie as well. Like, so he had, to go, yeah, he had to go back and kind of, you know, redo it because of course he's he's our age. Yeah. But, you know, and that's another thing, Bo Burnham is a 28-year-old yeah. guy. Um, very funny comedian, if you've ever seen his, uh, his stand-up. He his... started on YouTube, didn't he? He was mm. a YouTuber and then he gravitated into things like stand-up and now thankfully he's moved into movies. Like this is a person who I can't wait to see his next movie. This is how good this movie Movie is is that I cannot wait to watch what Bo Burnham does next, yeah. uh, and I hope it will be as kind of I hope it's going to be as small scale as this. You know, this is it's not a very long movie. I think it's a couple of no, hours. it's a, it's a ninety minute hours, film. Ninety I think. minutes, yeah. Um, 
but it, it just captures so brilliantly. I mean, I know it's there's obviously there's some uh, transatlantic differences. This is a film set in 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 the US, mm. but it, it, there is there are universal challenges and, of growing up, and, isn't it? And things to recognise about growing up, um, and what a struggle it can be, as Freddie Mercury once sang. Yes, uh, and that, and it, it delivers the kind of the tragic comedy that is adolescence. This movie is all at once hysterically funny. There are some really hugely mm. laugh-out-loud moments in this. But also, it, there is some heartbreaking moments, and particularly the interaction between uh, Kayla and her father, which are universally beautifully made. But there are... I mean, there are some... There, there is one particular sequence where she, where Kayla is having to negotiate the, the, roman, ro, like the romantic side of being a teenager. Mm. And my heart was in my throat for the entire scene where this guy like kind of pulls up and is trying to awkwardly and clumsily seduce her. Um, it, it's, it's a tremendously well-made film, the likes of which are come around every now and then. And it would be, it would be remiss of you to, to not go and see this movie in the cinema, I think. I can't add anything else to that. What would you give it? I mean, I'm, I'm. I feel like I'm handing them out like candy. This is a, this is another. This is another five bob film. <laughs> you ain't giving up five bob. I don't. I throw them out all over the shop. Honestly, <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. I feel like I'm obviously coming down or something. But this is most definitely another five bob film. As you say, it's it's important and it's authentic. And very rarely do you get a filmmaker like Bo Burnham, mm. um, first-time filmmaker, making such a, a special film as this. Yeah, and I, I put Bo Burnham in the likes of, like, Jordan Peele, you know, these, these, uh, these kind of comic uh, personas that are now kind of slightly wandering mm. away from the path that, that, that led them there, and, and these incredible American voices that are the, the new age of cinema. Uh, and you're right to say that, you know, this is a very definitely made film. It's an important film to document growing up, and growing up now in this digital precipice that we live in, and it shows such tremendous understanding for that time period without ever feeling twee or overly melancholy or a bit silly. No, sometimes the problem with these coming-of-age films is that they are over-sentimental mm. um, and, and, yeah, as you say, twee. But this felt, you know, it, it towed the line. Yeah, five bob from me as well. I'll throw them up like candy too. <laughs> <laughs> Marvellous moments. Is that it? Is yeah, that will do. That's our jingle. That that'll one. do it. I am so, the jingle master. Um, I think we touched on a few of these earlier in the previous discussion, uh, and I mentioned it at the top of the show, but but it feels right now, now that Endgame is, is over, and, and this is kind of, that's it for this phase. I feel wrong to call it phase, because there's been multiple phases. There has. Well, has this been phase three? Yeah. Although, bizarrely, Kevin Feige is now saying that Spider-Man Far From Home will actually complete this phase. Which feels like a what very an odd, odd thing decision. To, what an odd thing to say. It feels like um, a very odd decision. Okay, well, uh, we'll ignore the. Well, anyway, the end game feels very definitely yeah, ending. As I, I agree. As I, you know, we, we uh, the Marvel MCU kicked off with with Iron Man, and it very much pretty much ends with Iron Man. Iron Man ends in End Game. This yeah. is you know this feels very definitely a, an end to a to a, a, a volume a volume of of films, um, and within all these films. It's very easy, I think, maybe to rank the films as what you know what your favorite Marvel film is and, and what, you, what ones you least impressed. What by. would you say your favorite Marvel film is now? I, I mean, I still love the Winter Soldier. That remains one of my one of the all time favorites. Definitely. Um, but this one, I mean, it's very hard to match the spectacle of this film. Yeah. Um, 
you know. If, and, for me, it's and, a toss up the scope. Infinity War and Endgame now. I probably have to re watch Endgame. Mm. Yeah, I feel like another, another couple of watches. Uh, what's a little bit more, and what's more, I find more interesting to kind of pinpoint is the moments within those films. Yeah. The moments that make the MCU. Well, for me, the, the, the understanding across these wide and varied variety of directors uh, is that they understand moments. And that's why I feel like the Marvel... We can talk the politics of the Marvel Cinematic Universe <laughs> all day, but the reason that the Marvel Cinematic Universe consistently beat out the DC stuff is because not only did it come first, but all of these films give us moments, popular culture moments. And I think about how characters are introduced right from really, if we think about the two signature popular culture moments that are even given from the first Iron Man film in 2008, you've got the wonderful I am Iron Man at yep. the end, which ricochets straight into the, I want to talk to you about the Avengers initiative, which sets up everything you've yes. seen over the next 11 years. If you introduce... Uh, those moments and put them up against something like in the DCEU films where you know, Batman's entry into things is that he's just like crouched up on the corner of a wall <laughs> and you think about the, the Joker is just like nonchalantly talking to uh, Dr. Harleen Quinzel Superman spends kind of a couple of hours like watching his father die before he bothers to try and save anyone there's no popular culture zing to these like there are the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, mm. yeah, and, and there usually is one big moment every single film. We could talk so much about these. Yes, yeah. What um, are the ones that spring to mind instantly from yours? You should check out the article on oneroomwithaview.com and lots of different writers yeah, have given yeah, their favourites. There's, there's, there's an article on the blog where they've, defi- they've got ten. They've, they've picked ten moments that defined the, the Avengers mm. franchise. Um, and a few of mine are on that list as well. But I think in addition to I Am Iron Man, the one that immediately pops to mind, I think for everyone, yeah. is the... Uh, rotating shot in Avengers Assemble. That's got to be number one, hasn't it? Because <laughs> that's when you realise... I mean, the, the movie preceding, it, like the rest of the film, is, is excellent. I think Avengers is, a, is, is as triumphant a beginning to yes. this team as Endgame is an ending. But that moment that Joss Whedon... The audacity of that moment, <laughs> you know, where it's literally these six Avengers or whatever it ends up being, and then yeah. you've got the twirl around yeah. them. They're all facing outwards. They're ready for battle, and you've got Alan Silvestri's score booming over the top. That's when we, we started taking these like, movies seriously. Now we know where we are. Exactly. This is where we are. Yeah. This is what's happening. And that's the moment that I think that all other moments will be judged against. <laughs> and I mean that for the comic book genre mm. you know it's very hard to capture something as as transcendent as that yeah but yeah that's yeah. number one that's surely. number one um others on my list uh friend from work that's great in ragnarok where, yeah. where hulk meets uh, the thor meets hulk in the in the arena yeah suggested by uh a sick child visiting the set oh really yeah i didn't know that. it wasn't originally in the script and this kid was visiting, so it's, you know, he was a Make-A-Wish kid. Yeah. And apparently he said to Chris Hemsworth, why don't you say he's a friend from work? Yeah. And they tried it. And it works. And it works. Oh, that's great. Um, uh, now, I know everyone likes, I think a lot of people talk about the, the, the scene in Age of Ultron where Captain America 
almost you know, nudges the hammer like, a little bit. And you just see and, Thor. And you see Thor kind of like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> looking a bit like... Because, yeah. you know, no one else can do it. Um, but my uh, what the, the scene that trumps that for me is when Vision just nonchalantly picks it up and says, <laughs> let's go, so come on then. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's, that, got a, that got a big laugh, I think, when the I saw te- it. The team moments are usually the best, aren't they? Because I think that even like, the Guardians of the Galaxy coming together, there are two great moments in the Guardians of the Galaxy where they come together, which is the first one where, in fact, there are three incredible moments <laughs> in Guardians of the Galaxy where the team come together for the first time uh, Groot sacrificing himself. Uh, yes, we like, are Groot. We are Groot yeah. is one of... It might even be my second favourite Marvel cinematic moment of all time. I think that is so deftly and beautifully done. And then when the Guardians of the Galaxy come together to... Um, the, with the, is it the Power Stone? Yes. Yeah, they're, yeah. And they're, they're all having to grip onto that and that they can survive it together. I've always quite enjoyed the finale of... Uh, the, sort of not the finale, the final few moments of Guardians where everything's kind of being wrapped up and yeah. it's all set to Ain't No Mountain High Enough. Yeah. Uh, and all, you know, it's that nice little montage as the stone's put away and they kind of head off and he opens the... Uh, um, the awesome mix volume two uh, yeah. is a very nice. Guardians of the Galaxy is a, is yeah. a very very well made movie. Yeah. What else you got on your list? Uh, Trevor Slattery from Iron Man three. Iron Man three, I still think is one of my favourite solo um, Avengers films. We were talking about this at work recently because there are a lot of people who hate Iron Man three because I of the subversion. Don't think I've seen it since. In fact, I think I only saw it in the cinema one time. I've watched it a couple of times now, and I think it's such an. I think it's a. Uh, a career high for Robert Downey Jr. Mm. I think the way that he still manages to balance the Tony Stark persona, but also this crippling anxiety he's got post the Avengers, which is in and of itself a fascinating tendril to explore. We always think of these superheroes as being these immortal, totally unfazed characters who can see world's end and not blink their eye. But Tony Stark's kind of post-traumatic stress, which is at its most virulent in Iron Man 3... Is a fascinating. Which, actually, I will say to go to rewind slightly. Um, you mentioned Fat Thor earlier. Mm. Um, the, that's one thing I thought was I didn't think they handled as well. You touched there. I've only really just thought of it now. You're talking about Tony's uh, PTSD in yeah. Iron Man Three. Thor is obviously incredibly depressed following uh, what he sees as a personal failure in defeating Thanos and, and preventing the snap. Mm. And I felt they played a few moments up a bit too much for laughs. Possibly, we've said that. Like, we've said know. that that's um, uh, that's an indictment of Ragnarok, though, isn't it? Mm. These kind of slightly undercutting with humour. Yeah, nice to see called back, though. Oh yeah, obviously <laughs> in a Hawaiian shirt. But anyway, I digress. I digress. Yes. The... <laughs> so, uh, I mean, this was a great moment in and of itself when you've got this thunderous epic going on where they're trying to realign all of these characters, and Korg is telling Professor Hulk he can join the Wi-Fi, which is, you know, hats off to these movies. Um, Civil War is done tremendously. I actually the think, airport scene is on is on our uh, is on the Orweb blog post. Yeah, I I think the airport scene scene uh, at least the running up seems somewhat anemic actually because it feels like there's a lot of space and about twelve people having a brawl in a car park. But what I did think was done really well was the Captain America versus Iron Man fight with Bucky. Kind yes, of yeah, did, yeah, yeah. There's that tremendous cinematography where you go and the wall literally divides them. You've got Captain America's shield and Iron Man's blaster going off. Mm. Really, really great little moments. And a there. smaller moment in that film, I think, is uh, Baron Zemo's or Zemo uh, his sort of little monologue at the end mm. where he talks about... To Black Panther. Yeah, um, which is a which is sort of a sobering moment in these films. Uh, yeah. But, but, and and, and made, him, made him stand out somewhat from previous villains. Well, the um, villains are actually... It's, it's interesting that one of the biggest criticisms of these movies consistently have been that their villains have never been that great. 
DC traditionally has got the much stronger and more uh, colourful roster yeah. of ro- like the Rogue Gallery. Yeah, but yeah. actually, when Marvel has now kicked in with these complex villains, the likes of which we've seen in Thanos, the likes of which we've seen in Killmonger, mm. uh, Vulture. I hope that they continue that, you know, these nuanced villains. I think that Mysterio, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's Mysterio, is going to kind of follow that. Oh, yeah, to be. He seems like he's going to be a hero that, that turns against Spider-Man. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Um, I think we need to talk... I mean, you've already touched on it, the final battle in Endgame, that moment where you just hear Falcon say, on your left, mm. which is a wonderful throwback to their first meeting in, in The Winter Soldier. Mm. And then on his left turns into the, all those portals opening and yeah. just every motherfucker. Uh, yeah, everyone turns up. <laughs> um, it just, it's very uplifting. It fills you with, you know, fills you with hope. That um, battle will be the likes of which all succeeding battles mm. on film will be judged against. You know, I, I actually think that it's kind of a good... Idea, and I'm sorry to keep coming back to DC. I actually am a big fan of DC films. I feel like I'm bashing the life out of them today. <laughs> but it, I think that it's right that uh, the DC are going to start to think about this kind of Elseworlds thing that they're doing with uh, with Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. Mm. It feels like they need to do something different. Yeah, absolutely. They, 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 do. Won't, yeah. they won't be able to do something along the lines of what. Infinity no, I don't think anyone can come close. No, but these movies do. You know. They live and die on these incredible moments, the Wakanda Forever moments, mm. the uh, the battle moments, the picking up the hammer, becoming the character they were always supposed to be. And it's a incredible translation from page to screen. The fact that these movies feel like live-action comic books is, is incredible. But yeah, they're, they're, talking of moments, though, that's what made... And there are a couple of bomb notes. You know, that Thor 2 did happen. Um, Iron Man 2 is still... It's not a great yeah. movie, but we've had twenty-two of these movies. Twenty-two now. films. The fact yeah. that we have they have so been of consistently entertaining value comes from this thorough understanding of the medium and the moments yeah. that make it. Not one of them has been a bad film. Mm. Some of them are less good. Yeah, than there are lesser there moments. Are, there are right? no bad Marvel films, and it's because of this. Because of this conversation. Housekeeping, don't have a jingle for that. No, never have, never will. Um, that's a promise. That's, a promise. <laughs> that's the only one. <laughs> <laughs> From the jingle master. <laughs> so this is the part of the show where we usually just sweep up. Uh, yeah, clear away the mess after the battle of, of Helmsdorf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we just put some things back together. So I suppose the first, and first thing that we need to say is that this podcast is... Uh, an extension of uh, a movie criticism blog, yes. uh, com. The and Still affiliated somehow. Still affiliated somehow. We're still gripping on to the final phase. Uh, and there's so much going on in terms of that site. All of the latest movies in cinemas are being reviewed, but there is a lot of kind of like uh, features as well, Dan. We've already spoken about the Marvel one. You should check mm. that out. I believe there are 10 different writers from the site. And that site's got like a cast that rivals Endgame, doesn't it, now? <laughs> Ten speaking, different members, yeah. they talk about their favourite moments. It's well worth looking And speaking for. of Endgame, there is a spoiler-free review of the film on the website now. If, you, if you've if skipped you over our house. conversation and you want to, yeah, the, read a spoiler-free one, you can do so on the blog. Yeah. So is there anything, before we say our goodbyes, is there anything we need to say generally, Dan? Or, um, we watched the Star Wars trailer together, didn't we? We did watch the Star Wars trailer together. and uh, pen of all places. Uh, yes, we, Christopher and I were off uh, travelling. Gallivant. Holiday last yeah. the last couple of weeks. We um, took the show on on the road. 
Right. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully uh, our listenership needs to be boosted by some. We were telling everyone yeah. that, that, that this podcast existed. Mm. Uh, we've already had word that. Um, um, uh, Libby, who we were travelling with, her dad apparently is now subscribed. Oh, really? So, hello, Libby's dad, if you are listening, and that wasn't a terrible lie yeah. on Libby's part. Mm. Um, hello to the whole gang. I hope you're, I hope you're listening. Um, a conversation we had when we were in Cambodia was uh, that y- you feel there's only three romantic films ever made. They've, 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 of all the rom-coms ever made, there are only three that are truly romantic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which caused outrage yeah, amongst yeah. the... <laughs> that was a big uh, first impression from me. Yeah, that, I mean, that yeah. was quite an opening gambit. It's yeah, not yeah, even yeah. say, hi, my name is Christopher. No, it was, hello, we, there we, are no romantic uh, it, Yeah. What, why are you in Cambodia? Well, because I have got a mission <laughs> and... This is it. This is so, my statement. yeah, you caused some... some uh, uh, dare I say anger? Rage. A lot of anger. A lot of anger. A lot of room. anger. A lot of, uh, lot of tension mm. um, on that beach. Yeah, Dan, Dan, Dan had a lot of diplomacy on this trip, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Yeah, he was, he was like the Johnny Cochran of Cambodia. Yeah, you're, you're the jingle master. I'm known as the diplomat. Yeah, the diplomat. <laughs> Simply capital T, capital D, the diplomat. Yeah, absolutely. So, but it got me thinking. Um, we haven't done a challenge, Chris, for a while. We haven't. Uh, and the the girls were suggesting a lot of a lot of films that actually you should be watching, which are romantic. Because yeah. my my argument was that the most romantic films ever made are the Before trilogy by Richard yeah. Linklater, which is a perfectly good argument. Yeah, thank you very much to the, to the diplomat over <laughs> here. Yeah, I don't, don't remember you saying that at the time actually, but it wouldn't but have served me well to say it was that the the, romantic comedies. Everyone was saying about how much they love them, and I said that usually romantic comedies, I feel like they're like the lowest common denominator kind of films. They're usually a bit trashy. They're usually movies like straight to Netflix and stuff like that. <laughs> so they gave a couple of of the of them that they feel like I need to, mm. and I've. I've got a list, okay. and I thought at first maybe I'd make you watch them all, but that seemed particularly problematic. <laughs> um, the one that kind of got the most uh, has been brought up a lot um, was a film. Is a film called uh, A Cinderella Story, right? Which I believe stars uh, international star uh, Hilary Duff, brilliant, and um, and Chad Michael Murray. Whatever happened to him? And her, actually. Um, <laughs> I think... Uh, I, I, I don't know about her. I think she's uh, raising a family and he uh, is currently in the jail. Netflix show Riverdale. Oh, OK, fair enough. Um, so jail then. <laughs> soon. Um, so, yeah, it seemed... And you hadn't, you hadn't seen it, you hadn't even heard of it when it was brought up. You. So, um, my sort of challenge for you, to, to begin with at least, I, might, I mean, we may throw in some more, I don't know. Um, I'm happy to take some, some more suggestions from, from the that. gang in Cambodia. Uh, but yeah, we're going to start off with you watching a Cinderella story, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Okay, challenge accepted. And we'll see when we can do that for then. <laughs> um, I've also got an up sequel actually that I found my notes for the other day, so I'll try oh, and get yeah. that done before yeah. the summer specials. But we're going to be back next month, yes, uh, as always, with something fresh alongside some of the old, more stale features. <laughs> uh, you can follow us uh, and the website on Twitter at One Room with a View, numerical one. Dan is at Mr. Orton. M-I-S-T-E-R, verified and dangerous. Blue tick. I'm at the Prestonite. You can email us, podcast at oneroomwithaview.com. But aside from that, we'll see you next month. Cheerio.